0: This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you, who donated $1
1: a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com.
0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing and knit and and spin. would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy, here's something amazing to help you keep it together. One, two, three. craft sanity, craft sanity. Happy new year folks. Welcome to episode 193. On this episode, I'm going to bring you a conversation I had with Jane LaFazio. She is a watercolor and mixed media artist, art quilter, and all around creative force. She has a passion for traveling and teaching people how to draw and paint, often when they're on trips with her. The interesting twist to this story is that this isn't exactly the life that Jane had planned for herself. The way life kind of spun her around and landed her in this direction, it was difficult. And she's going to talk about that on this episode. The conversation that I am about to play for you is one that I recorded last year. I also wrote a story about Jane for the Craft Industry Alliance, and that will be published on January 3rd as well, the same day I'm releasing this podcast. So references that you hear in this interview to this year means actually 2016, and she's talking about next year, that's our current year, 2017. Before I go any further, I want to take a moment to thank my Patreon sponsors and other people who have taken the time to send me kind feedback and support the show uh, on a monthly basis. I really appreciate that. All right, now is the time to grab that project tea a water bottle, whatever strikes your fancy, and settle in for my conversation with Jane LaFazio. Jane, welcome to the podcast. I'm very excited to get a chance to talk to you about your work and your life and all these creative adventures you've been going on lately. Thank you, Jennifer. It's great to talk to you too. Yeah, well, for those who, um, I know pe- there are plenty of folks out there who've been following your work and they know all about you, but so, ev- all of
1: us, <laughs> so everyone's on the same page. Have you do a little bit of a, a, an overview for people I'm lucky enough that I have a foot in both camps. Um, I draw. Um, I used to do, you know, full-fledged watercolor paintings, but now I'm strictly work in my journal and record my life and travels and trips and stuff. And then I also do art quilts, usually pretty small. But I love hand sewing and now um, free-motion sewing. So I create original art quilts and then. I guess you could say I'm a mixed media artist because I also do um, collage where my my recent work is on a paper substrate but I'm combining fabric and machine sewing and hand stitching so it's like a stitched collage on paper Um, and the more I can integrate all the things I love to do which is drawing and stitching um the better so i i'm hoping in this relatively new work that i'm bringing all those together
0: well that's awesome and it's really fun to have such a, a wide range of skills to blend
1: and i'm blessed for that because i um the other the way i make the majority of my living even though i do sell my work is teaching so that when i go to these art retreats and um asked to teach I can teach drawing one day and then I can teach um, sewing one day and mixed media the next. So it's really helped my career wise. And it's also helped me keep everything fresh. I don't feel like I'm in a rut.
0: Well, that's yeah. If you don't want to collage one day, you're like, whatever, I'm going to sew, you know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly right.
1: That's what my studio reflects.
0: I read on your on your website. Uh, a little you you have a little bio there that's very interesting I think you did a great job on this thank because you. in a very oh, concise you. way you are I mean there's great trivia points that I hope we can hit on at some point <laughs> and you have a little section and it looks like it's only about four paragraphs that's your mm-hmm. life story and there is so much compacted into these four paragraphs and I teach writing at the community college ah. in town and I I think you've you've done an excellent job here you paint this really nice scene of going to visit your father At his apartment in San Francisco. Um, I don't know if you want to start there or before that.
1: No, um, that's a good place to start. Uh, My parents were divorced when I was really young. And I would go to San Francisco, which was just 25 miles from where I lived, every month and visit my father. And he is the one that took me to museums and arts and craft fairs and theater and turned me on to all the things that I love now, all the cultural and art scene. And he also, he was a chef by profession, but he loved to make stuff. And he had a card table set up in his apartment in San Francisco, and he had glitter and pipe cleaners and crepe paper and those wooden heads, you know, to make (laughs) these little figures, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And we just make stuff together. And in fact, when I would go and visit him on holidays, he would make these enormous, at least in my childhood memory, um, crepe paper creations. So imagine a Christmas tree entirely handmade with different colors of crepe paper and around the base, all this candy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I would carry these home on the train and (laughs) inevitably... The conductor would say, little girl, do you have a ticket for that? (laughs) Because they were so big. But the other side of the coin is I have absolutely no photographs of them. (laughs) Not a single photograph. It all all resides in my memory. The things I remember is my mom saying, that's why you have so many cavities. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the candy. So from that perspective, my dad was able to devote those weekends to Jane things and art things. And then I would go home where my mom was a single working mom and how she encouraged my creativity is if I was doing something creative and it could have been rearranging my dollhouse or cutting out paper, she would not interrupt me to do chores.
0: That's a great rule. I would have just been doing art projects continuously.
1: Is that what you did? (laughs) Well, it's interesting because I, Went through Artist Way by Julia Cameron. I went mm-hmm. through that, and it was life-changing, and I recommend it to everybody. And it was during that process of writing and looking back that I realized that that was my mom's silent encouragement of my creativity. I don't know that I knew it at the time, but it was only when I looked back on it. Right. So. And I did do creative stuff. Uh, my husband laughs. When I was about nine, I decided I wanted um, a flagpole in my backyard. So I dug a hole. I went in the garage and got cement and mixed it up. And then I tied two broom handles together, <laughs> stuck <them> in the <laughs> cement, <laughs> put an American flag on there, and I was going to go and raise and lower it. <laughs> <before>
0: <laughs> How long did that last? How many days <laughs> of flag raising did you I, have? Yeah,
1: I, don't think, I don't think long at all. But, you know... Uh, The point of that story is my mom was like, sure, do it. And I think, you know, that was tremendously encouraging.
0: And so what was next after the flagpole? What was your next uh, creative move?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, then, you know, right away, fame and fortune. (laughs) (laughs) After that, I was about 15 or 16. And she bought one of those kits, those cruel work kits, you know, where you do the stitching on the like the Erica Wilson pattern or something. Mm -hmm. So she bought it actually as a gift for some cousin or something. And I saw it and I said, "Um, I want this. And so she said, (laughs) okay. So I started hand stitching. And so what clearly I was a kid that loved to work with my hands. And so this stitching and these kits I did for the next 15, 20 years, always had some kind of hand project, but it was always a kit. So I did County cross stitch and needlepoint and crew work and every kind of hand stitching, uh, Christmas stocking project and and then even those those um, holiday ornament projects where you pour the plaster of Paris in a little mold mm-hmm. and you hand paint it, you know, yeah. all that stuff. I I constantly had something like that going, and during that time it never occurred to me to create it myself. You know, I think up until the time you're maybe generalizing of course maybe 10 11 you think oh i'll just make it myself and then some time after that it's like oh no i need to buy a kit i can't do it myself you know and i don't know what how that changes probably puberty and (laughs) boys (laughs) and (laughs) peer pressure but anyway so um i did that forever and then um then my other dream that coexisted with that you know just kind of getting through high school was traveling i wanted to travel and out of high school i worked one summer at Yellowstone national park and then i worked another summer up at what was then mount mckinley national park now denali in alaska all with the goal of becoming a flight attendant because i wanted to see the world and so I started applying to be a flight attendant before I'd ever even been on a plane. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <so> you... <laughs> you know, that's just a minor detail. <laughs> right. So I, I kept applying. And long story short, when I was about 22, 23, I guess, um, I got hired by a, a charter airline out of Oakland, California, and right from the get-go, traveled internationally. Um,
0: how did that first flight go? Had you been on a plane before you got the first job? I find, yes. Yeah. Okay. Finally,
1: the airlines, you know, I wised up. If I'm going to interview for this, maybe I better go on a <laughs> plane, plane. Make sure you're not like deathly afraid to fly or something. <laughs> right. Right. I somehow knew I wouldn't be. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the, I, my first, well, anyway, my first flight was to Alaska and my, my first flight to Europe ever was as a flight attendant in the cockpit of British Air. So that was pretty cool. So how many years did you work as a flight attendant? So I worked for four years because the, then the airline went on strike. And at that point, I had, was married and I was living in a different state, which was illegal by the airline. You were supposed to live within three hours driving time. So oh. I was breaking that rule. And then with the airline on strike, I was like, OK, got to stop. So that's when I decided I was going to go back to school and I was going to take Practical stuff like secretarial skills. Because, <laughs> you, know? you know, I, I, t- you know, I didn't have, I just wanted to travel. That was the end of my dream. That was the end of my plan. So you're <laughs> so like, okay, I've done it. that. Yeah, exactly. your
0: career as <laughs> a flight attendant was over. Yeah. And you're like, okay, now I have, will commence the next
1: thing here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm scraping around. Well, okay, secretary. So my husband who's in personnel said, you know, let's rethink this. What do you like to do? You like to work with your hands.
0: So, if and I can so- interrupt you for just one second, because of we course. kind of glossed over the part where the romance part of this, where uh, oh yeah. you, you met your husband. Where did where did you meet? Did you know him from <laughs> since childhood, or where did you meet him? No,
1: I met him. Uh, okay, this is I met him in a bar on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was now for my for my um, reputation. He was with my next door neighbor, so I was properly introduced. <laughs> <laughs> So I met him in a bar and he miraculously had a really good job cuz that wasn't anything I had been looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so um so we met and we immediately started dating and um just FYI when when he was working for Hewlett Packard and he knew when he met me that he'd be moving up to Oregon. So I knew that he would be moving up there and at one point I was going to move up there just living together with him but then it got cold feet and kind of coerced him into marrying me. And how old were you guys when you got married? Um, I was 26 and he was 31.
0: Okay, so you're, you yeah. found this mysterious older man in a bar on St. Patrick's yeah. Day. Um, he
1: <laughs> we well, had a good job. Yeah, He had that a good job. Good. Well,
0: actually, that's one of the big things that parents ask about when you, you bring a young suitor around. <laughs> They're like, uh, so what does he do? <laughs> does he have yeah. a job? Yes, so you had yeah. that.
1: Well, and my, my mom was not that way, my mom was married four times, twice to the same man. My younger brother and sister from her last marriage were 10 and 12 years younger than I was. Oh, wow. So she was busy with them. So yeah, she had she hands was full. Like, Yeah. She was like, oh, hi, Jane. Yeah, he seems nice. <laughs> 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 and he was. He's fantastically nice. Yeah. I really lucky. And out. what is his name? <laughs> his name is Don. Don Strong.
0: Don, okay. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So, yeah. you and Don then make a life for yourself up in. He was moving. He moved up. You guys moved up to where for his job? To Corvallis. Okay.
1: Corvallis, Oregon. So, I was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area and obviously had traveled, um, but had never lived in a rainy gray area. <laughs> which, I mean, Corvallis was a lovely town. We lived there for eight years. And I always say, well, honest, I always say six years too long because it was it was hard for me. It was small and it was gray. And so when, and I know I'm jumping ahead, but when he got the job offer to um, move and work in South Korea, we both jumped at it.
0: So you just were looking for a different, a change of scenery there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
0: And travel once again,
1: the travel component. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so living in South Korea for two and a half years, I said to him, Let's make a plan. Let's not save any money. Let's travel as much as we can, and we did. Every three months, we went somewhere. So it was, yeah, that travel bug continues. Obviously,
0: when he was working his job at, he was at Hewlett Packard at that point when he relocated. Correct. Okay. So when he was working there, what were you doing during that time?
1: So that's when I went back to school, and with his counsel, I went into graphic design, and rather than secretarial skills (laughs) and um, found that I really enjoyed it. And what's interesting is I look back on my work because I took illustration and watercolor along with typography and page layout and and, uh, drafting, just um, all part of the graphic design degree. I look at the fine art and it was really quite good, except I didn't see it that way. I didn't see myself as an artist. I didn't, I just, I just didn't believe it. And I know a lot of people that I've met as students had that same experience. I, I couldn't and wouldn't call myself an artist. So with my graphic design, I went into, um, technical illustration. And so I started working for high tech companies and I worked for Hewlett Packard and Corvallis and then, um, various high tech companies throughout my career until, uh, 98 actually my work I, It went from graphic design and morphed into marketing because I always worked full-time from then Well, we probably
0: should talk about South Korea a
1: little bit. Yeah, yeah. just yeah, just briefly so we lived there as a expat. I couldn't work um, You know, I couldn't get a work permit, right? So I went to school again and I was able to go on The military base there at, even though I was a civilian to the University of Maryland and I got my bachelor's degree in Asian studies, and I chose Asian studies because there was no art-related courses. And as a kid growing up on the West Coast, or maybe just in the United States, I hadn't, I didn't know anything about Asia. Nothing. It was not covered in in my in my uh, education. So it was really a great opportunity to study Asia and then travel Asia. So it's a hard place to live culturally because it's just such a different culture. At least it was in the 80s. But the benefit, of course, was I got that degree and travel and saw that whole part of the world. Yeah, that so, sounds really interesting. Yeah, it was. So then we moved back to um, the US. We moved to LA for a year and a half. And again, I was working there full time and trying to see as many movie stars as I could.
0: <laughs> Who did you see that was most exciting?
1: <laughs> oh, let's see. I saw, I saw Tony Curtis and Robert Wagner and... Roy Rogers and Dale Evans <laughs> and oh I mean really just too many I mean it, I, I really saw a lot of celebrities did you I interact mean, with I, the
0: people or did you just kind of see them and watch what they were doing um,
1: well I bumped Tony Curtis's chair and then <laughs> bumped, on purpose or accidentally <laughs> Accidentally. <laughs> and then a guy from 30 something I think his name is Peter Horton he said excuse me when I hit with the, hit him with the bathroom door so yeah I, I interacted <laughs> No, I did have my picture taken with Robert Wagner and and stuff, but no. Anyway, it was just the thing during my quest for celebrities when we lived in L.A. I one of the things, one of my goals was to be on a game show. Oh yes, this is one of the highlights I wanted to cover. (laughs) What the highlight of my life? I uh, I hope not. But anyway, um, so I applied for and became a contestant on Hollywood Squares, (laughs) another opportunity for celebrities, and um. Let's see, Richard Simmons was on there. Oh, oh my God. And <laughs> he's been to West Michigan.
0: He has been
1: to West <laughs> All Michigan. All right. There we <laughs> go. Him in his
0: short shorts, the little jersey top, and the, the oh. hair that you just, is almost indescribable. Oh, my
1: God. But he is, he is one funny oh, guy. Oh, he's hilarious. Absolutely so hysterical. Silly. Yeah. And then um, the center square was Joan Rivers. Oh, wow. That's a trip. Yeah. <laughs> So when it when it came time, I, I, I won the game. I think I won like $200. And no, I take that back. I won $1,500. And then um, because I won over my, the other contestant, I was able to pick a celebrity who had the key that hopefully opened the car I picked. So I chose Joan Rivers because she was the biggest celebrity. And while well, we were sitting in the car waiting before... I turned the key she said she asked me well how did you meet your husband and I I said well I met him in a bar I had to go to 500 bars to meet the right guy and she laughed <left." laughs> <had to> get- <laughs> that's my claim to say, making her laugh yeah that's pretty awesome she was very very nice very very nice and anyway then I won the car because the key turned and what kind of car was that um it was some
0: kind of Buick <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I can see it made a real impression since you're struggling to recall the make of the car. Yeah, so it was a Buick, um nothing super fancy, just a But did you keep the car or what did what happened to the car?
1: Well, I mean they were all Buicks and they all had different names and I knew nothing. You know, I just kind of ch- just heard like, the last awesome. one and it was one I could pronounce. So, when I got the I I was able to pick up the car once the show aired, which was a few months later, then I went and got the car and then drove it to another dealer in LA who bought the car from me and I got a check for $11,000. Oh, <laughs> well, good for you. Which is pretty, I mean, that was that was 1988 and that was a lot of money for, oh, you yeah. know, a couple hours on a game show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and
0: then you just didn't need a car? Is that kind of the point you were- Well, I
1: had a car. You know, I put the money in the bank and I, I think I ended up buying, what I wanted was a convertible and I couldn't, uh, at the time, Buick didn't have convertibles.
0: Oh, I see. Okay, well, no, that's yeah. a smooth move though, is to, uh, you sure. know,
1: just kind of- you know just sell it yeah so did you get your convertible i did i got i think the first the first convertible i got i'm on my third convertible i think i got a oh i think i got the celica my red celica convertible. oh okay yeah. all right awesome
0: okay so anyway. well that's pretty cool so joan rivers and uh you know, was involved in, in that, uh, making that happen in a way, uh, in a roundabout way.
1: <laughs> and then she was, yes, and then she was in a club two weeks later in LA. So we went to see her perform. And we told the doorman that I'd just been on Hollywood Square. So I got to stand up in the audience, oh. spotlight a face, Joan, oh, hi, did you get your car yet? So it was my moment in the sun. Right.
0: You get, and, yeah, when you're acknowledged in public by a celebrity, then everyone else in the room was oh, oh. like, this woman must be very important. She, she is one of Jane. You know, she's one of uh, Joan Rivers' friends. This Jane lady, we have to find out what she's all about. So, so yeah, you adventure seems to fo- follow you. Do you get? Do you feel that way, or is that just me uh, making an observation well, here?
1: I'm not afraid anymore to go up to somebody and say, "Hey, you know, I I really like you," or right, you know, or talk to them or something. And and um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm very open. To being out and about, and and, uh, so between my husband and I at various places, if there's some star, it just reminds me, we we went not that long ago to hear a talk here in San Diego, and Oliver Sacks, he was the speaker, and we went to hear him speak, and so who do we run into on the path to the auditorium? Oliver (laughs) Sacks. So that does happen a lot. So along this trajectory here, um, when,
0: you, when you were in L- L.A. for a year and a half, and that's when was that when you were on the show? Yes. Um, okay. Now, yeah. um, backtracking, that was, was that
1: 1998? No, no. Um, we left L.A. in 89. Okay. And moved to San Diego again with my husband's job, and I was all for it. I love San Diego.
0: And then so when you were settling in in San Diego, what were you doing at that point?
1: I had a couple of jobs <laughs> and was working full time. And then my last job, which was in 1998, I was working for an architectural firm and I was in marketing by then. As I said, my graphic design morphed into marketing, which I loved and was doing proposals for this architectural firm.
0: Okay. And not, if now if we backtrack, uh, 1989 is when you relocated to San Diego. Yes. And then it sounds like you and your husband went through a very significant uh, situation back in 1992. It kind yeah, of we did. Yeah, so can
1: we did? What happened then? In 1992, Don ha- happened to be in Spain on a business trip. He was a personnel manager here for Hewlett Packard in San Diego, and he was on a business trip in Spain. And when he came home that at the end of that trip, he said, "I had the worst headache I've ever had." And I said, "Oh, you know, gosh, I'm really sorry. How are you doing now?" He goes, "You know, I'm okay." So we spent the weekend went to a ball game, et cetera. Then on Monday morning, we both went to work was working um, at Symer at the time. And I got a call that he had collapsed at work. Oh, no. And I thought, at the time, I thought, oh, maybe, you know, he's tired from the trip or the flu. So I went to the hospital and he had, they found that he had a brain aneurysm. He had blood in his brain. Oh, goodness. And he had brain surgery the very next morning. Oh, my goodness. And... They said he had a chance of having a stroke over the next four days and he was in intensive care for that week. I was 42. He was 47. You never think anything like that's going to happen. I went to see him in the hospital and he couldn't talk. He talked in gibberish. He was, his brain, his head was all bandaged up um, and he was partially paralyzed.
0: Oh, wow.
1: It's, So for he was in the hospital for a month. He even, during that time, had a pulmonary embolism, which has a 70% mortality rate. Uh, Had, as I said, brain brain surgery. So when he came out after a month and came home, it was just me. He had to learn to read and write and walk and talk all over again. And as one of my um, therapists at the time said, it's like you brought home a newborn baby with no... You know, I didn't have any training on this. He had had to have all manner of therapies, couldn't drive, couldn't communicate. His walking is the physical part gradually came back and I didn't realize it, but I was also grieving deeply for the future that we had lost. I, I mean, in one minute, I, you know, what I thought was gonna be the rest of our life changed. I didn't know if um, he'd ever be able to talk or or talk again, if he'd ever be able to work again. I had no idea what our financial future was. Right. Um, There was no, absolutely no telling how he, if he would or would not improve. And he was, you know, pretty well helpless when he came home. Jeez. So, and this was before the internet, so I, I didn't know anything about brain injury. Right, you couldn't
0: go Google it and find no. a support group,
1: right? No, and he had aphasia, which is the language disability, which is uh, basically like a word finding. He might be able to know the word is ball, but he'll say egg, or he'll say... <laughs> wow. So, and as a personnel manager, and a, as the kind of human being he is, communication was what he did. After six months, I um, had, was realizing that I had completely lost the Jane. I was with him 24 seven. I didn't have a single thought that was my, <laughs> what I had before, you know, right. I was just all about him. And which is fine, but a friend said, well, why don't you take an art class? So I signed up for a Tuesday morning art class at a community center here, and it was a drawing class. And in that class, I was able to be Jane, just be myself. I didn't have to talk about doctors and and insurance and sadness or cry. I could just be Jane and draw. That teacher moved away and a watercolor teacher came in for that period. And I didn't wanna take watercolor because I couldn't afford the supplies, but I only had Tuesday mornings. So I became a watercolor artist. <laughs> Because that's how those decisions are made, you know? Right. And in that class, I made some wonderful friends and gained my Janeness back. I didn't have to work for a year and a half after he was hurt. I got family care leave, and then um, he thankfully had long-term disability insurance with his job, because otherwise we would have lost everything. And it was after a year and a half then that I had to go back to work full time. He was finally able to drive again, even though he did have a seizure after 13 months. Oh, jeez! Um, I mean, I never cried so much. I always had a box of Kleenex. It was really, really hard, and people didn't understand brain injury, and I can't blame them because I was learning every day. So during that period of time and adjustment and sadness, we really recreated our lives. You know, we really did. I um, helped him get volunteer work. And so that he could, he went to different hospitals and visited the um, men because the men don't have too many visitors. And he had seven years of speech therapy, two years based on insurance and five years. A friend of mine volunteered with him for three times a week for speech therapy. Wow, that's great. He continued to work really, really hard to get, quote unquote, better and to be able to communicate better. And then when I went back to work, we also made the arrangement. Okay, look. Dawn, you need to do the grocery shopping and the laundry because I'm working full time and we've got, you know, got to change things around. And, of course, he still does that. I haven't bothered telling him that I could help.
0: That. <laughs> so, <laughs> <and the laundry.
1: laughs> but so during that time, we, you know, we'd been married 15 years. We had a strong relationship when um, and this is the part I still could cry about when he was laying there in that hospital and was going for brain surgery. I said, I thought to myself, I love this man more than anything in the world, and I'm going to stick by him because that's the point when a lot of marriages break up because right. it's so friggin' hard. Right. So update on Don. He was never able to go back to work. He still has trouble reading and writing and, and communicating. There's a lot of things he can do, and he's the most courageous man ever. He will talk to anybody and try anything. We've created a wonderful life.
0: That's so beautiful. And how how long yeah. have you been married?
1: Um, in February, it'll be 40 years.
0: Oh, congratulations. That's yeah, just so you. beautiful.
1: It amazes me because remember, my mom was married four times. I really didn't think this marriage would last more than five years. So I'm <laughs> shocked at 40.
0: <laughs> and that Tuesday morning class, it sounds like it kind of brought something out of you that you maybe didn't even really fully realize was there with the whole, you know, watercolor. And, and now you're teaching. I mean, you didn't even want to take the
1: class. And now you're teaching watercolor. So that's... <laughs> no, that, that's true. I realized during that class, and this is something that I share with my students when I teach them. And I think, honestly, it makes me a, a better teacher because it was during that class that I realized drawing, you're not born knowing how to draw. Drawing, you have to sit still, focus, and really look at that object and try to draw what you see, not what you think you see. And it's just it just takes time and, and you can learn it. And and I feel like that's I learned it during that period of time. And that's why I can break it down for teaching it. And I also um happened to fall in with a group it sounds like a gang, but it wasn't <laughs> yeah. fall in with a group where we became artists together. We learned how to it was a group of of ten women. And we learned how to frame our work. We learned how to put on exhibitions. We learned how to hang them. We learned how to put on receptions and send postcards, send invitations, get business cards, make up resumes. I learned the business of art while I was still working full time so that in 1998, when I got laid off from my job, which was unexpected, I came home and said to my husband, I think we can pay our mortgage for 6 months. I'm going to try during that time to be a full-time artist. And and I credit that leap to after what we'd been through already. It's like what the hell worse could happen, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Why not give this a try? Right you know I thought at the time this is 98 I thought it would be selling my artwork and in galleries and fairs which is the direction I went into and I didn't want to teach but then it gradually morphed into teaching and we downsized and made you know all kinds of financial arrangements but I I still have not had to go back to work at a, for anybody else but myself I've worked full time as an artist since then and I don't you know without what we've been through I wouldn't have taken that leap and it It's so where I should be. I mean, I I really love what I'm doing. I love teaching. I've really changed people's lives, which is what more could you ask, you know, turning them onto the creative arts.
0: Well, congratulations. I mean, that's something that is, it's it's a hard thing to do to make that transition from working for others and uh, just Mm -hmm. taking that leap and congratulations that you've made it work and and you clearly are inspiring other, other people because it sounds like you're taking, when you go on these trips, I know you just got back from Greece. Was yeah. that a trip? Did you bring people with you on that trip? Was that a, a,
1: a, Were you teaching on the trip? My past, I don't know how many, six, eight trips have been organized by my friend Carlo Roberts, and she's a, a travel agent and has traveled the world, so she does all the logistics, so the hotels and the, what we're going to do every day and where we're going to go and the train schedule, and she goes on the trips with us, and she's absolutely great, good friend of mine now, and I do the marketing and get the people together, so they fly out there and meet us. And then every day I teach some kind of sketching and watercolor on location.
0: What a great way to learn, and you get the benefit of, of the culture of the place you travel to, and then to be able to get an art. Mm-hmm. So every day there's like an art class.
1: Yeah, and the the people that come, it's it's, night. It's always pretty much all women. And this this group was 16 of the most. They're always remarkable, but this was a really remarkable group. <laughs> and everybody had. St- you know, everybody has a story, and this group really, it was a 12-day trip, so they really bonded and shared their stories, which makes it the whole experience even richer. And a lot of women come on these trips by themselves because it's a great way to travel alone because you got a group of ready-made friends with like-minded interests, you know? How often do you take these trips? A couple of times a year. Um, like, this year I w- did a trip like this in England to Stratford-on-Avon and then um, the Greece one. And then next year I'm doing France, and then I'm doing um, Charleston, South Carolina, and then I'm doing a Montreal, Quebec, and I'm doing a Wisconsin. Um, You know, they're all similarly based where people fly to that place and we're um, sketching a watercolor on location.
0: So you probably are accustomed to, especially when you see the per- people in person, you, you probably see some people who really, really want to be able to let loose on the page and draw. How do, what do you do? What techniques do you use to kind of shake people um, out of that? I can't do this. You know, other people draw, but I don't kind of thing.
1: Well, I think, especially when I'm in a group setting and, um, you know, 20 people and they're introducing themselves, there's always six or seven that say, oh, I can't draw a straight line. I can't draw a stick figure. I don't know what I'm doing. Here. <laughs> you know, so part of what I do is we get started right away. We don't dilly-dally because right. <laughs> I know they're really anxious. Right. And the
0: longer they have to sit and fester in that, the yes! worse it's going to be for yes. you as the instructor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I break it down where We start with a pencil. You know, I do a series of demonstrations. We start with a pencil and I show them how I loosely sketch it with like a thousand pencil lines. I mean, I'm exaggerating there, but a lot of pencil lines just sketching. And I'm looking at the object and drawing a couple lines and looking back, forth, back, forth, back, forth until I get a semblance of what that whatever it is I'm drawing. And like I say, when I'm teaching, I try to make my drawing as realistic as I can in the time I have. So I start them with organic things like leaves or flowers because if you have a petal a little bit off or skip a petal, it's not gonna make any difference. Right. But I I have them looking at each and every petal. And so once they have that pencil drawing, then I have them literally redraw and refine it in pen over the pencil lines but they're still looking at the object and then i have them erase the pencil and that moment when they erase the pencil and they look at their ink drawing and they go it looks like it (laughs) (laughs) you know it's really un it's they're completely surprised and then i show them how to to paint with watercolor in a really pretty loose way um so we don't try to match the colors exactly and we try to paint it pretty quickly so they go through that, and they're still like, oh, I'm sure mine's not, mine's one of the worst in the class. And then I have them, usually, everybody lay out their work on a table, so you don't know whose is whose. But you look at that table of work, and you go, you can't pick out the people that had never drawn before. You cannot tell which ones they were. And those people look and go, wow, wow. Mine's not too bad. I'm holding my own, you know? Yeah. So it's that moment of recognition like, look at this. I can do it. Look at what these other people did. Mine looks as good as theirs. So it's the power of community and also just taking that time to focus. It's not something you can just dash off, especially for just learning, you know? Right,
0: right. Have to do work. So it sounds like what you're doing to help people is just setting that that building that community and that trust with your students, and they're kind yes. of bonding as they're going through something together,
1: and then they come out mm-hmm. the other side
0: as artists, which is. And know, I'm
1: also giving them permission, giving them the time, the permission to try it. Right,
0: right. Because yeah. that's the thing. A lot of us, um, you know, if you don't give yourself the time, you're not going to get very good at. This new skill mm-hmm. you know you have to practice it so 12 days in Greece sounds like a great time <laughs> to practice
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and or eight days in France yeah eight, eight days in France that'd
0: be great are you guys going to go when the um when lavender's in bloom
1: oh we're not we're going to the Riviera oh, so okay. we stay in okay. Nice and along there and then we're in Paris okay well no that's that, yeah. that's going to be lovely so yeah it's not like it's gonna be a bummer no yeah it's like
0: oh there's no lavender we'll forget it you know um (laughs) it sounds like a total waste of time Um, (laughs) oh my word was there a certain point where you knew that your life as a full-time artist was you were doing it and it was going to be something that was going to work for you for the long haul or are you still thinking geez i i really hope this works for the next you know six months to a year i mean do you get to a comfort level uh being
1: an artist and working making your living doing that and that's a good question. Once I got laid off, I actually, on the schedule in five weeks from the day I got laid off, I was having my first one woman show of some artwork I'd done in Italy. So that was, it kicked me right off. Right. And, but I think, I think the answer to your question is I, I don't think I ever th- thought about going back to work for somebody else. Instead, I thought, okay. I made. All right. I got to ask. I got asked to teach at this art retreat. That's great. I went there. I loved it. You know, I came home with $5,000. Okay. I know I can't do that every week or every month. What else can I do? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I can teach a class over here. Okay. I can have an Etsy shop and sell some of my work there. I can um, pitch an article to cloth, paper, scissors, or quilting arts. And yes, they pay a small amount, but that exposure will feed my other classes. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think certainly when I started teaching online, especially um, teaching um, through my own my own platform, not through another company, I realized, oh, I can, you know, I can teach another class online, or I can create another online class. So that anytime I started to think, oh, where's the money coming from, or oh, geez, am I gonna make it? I would just Do something else to bring in the money. Well, and that's a great motivation, you know, especially, you know, you just, just (laughs) okay. I mean, the motivation, I mean, I love what I do because I never said, okay, well, I'm going to go, I don't know, paint addresses on on sidewalks, (laughs) 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 call it art. Um, I always did what I loved. Right. But it was, it was certainly a motivation to keep doing more or to create something new. Yes.
0: Uh, Do you find that? you know, having to kind of make your own way is, what does that do for you creatively?
1: You know, the more successful I get, which is makes me stumble over that question, but I mean that statement, but it's true. The more successful I get, the longer out my trips and teaching are planned. Right. So like I'm booked through 2017. But having said that, there's loads of time in between those gigs to, do other stuff and to take on things or to say no to things. Mm-hmm. And it's all a schedule that I have personally made myself, you know, and over the years I've learned like, okay, I'm going to take teaching gigs and I'm lucky enough to take teaching gigs where I want to go. <laughs> <Right>? Exactly. <laughs> and turn down others. <laughs> right. Cause I don't want to go there. Right. So, um, so all of that freedom you know creative freedom and like going somewhere um that i've never been like you know i'd never i i did this grease trip it was the second time i've done it well last year when i did it i'd never been to all those places so not only am i going to new places but i'm there thinking okay what are we going to draw where am i going to put on today's lesson in this new place that i've never been and what am i going to teach and what am i going to show them you know i thrive in that that i really do well, what advice do
0: you have for the artists out there who maybe are just, maybe they're about to launch into a, you know, try to make art their full-time gig or they are just moving at the beginning of, you know, kind of where you were in 1998. What do you wish you would have known that you can maybe pass along? Do you have any words of wisdom?
1: I'll, I'll pass along my friend Leslie Riley's words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> was asked that similar question was to set up systems, you know, have systems in your business I mean that's in other words when you start out you're like oh hey I sold a painting and you don't write down the name of that painting or the price or who you sold it to (laughs) and over time you want to you want to get those systems in place where you keep track of your artwork and you know the sizes and you know who you sold it to or you know what classes you taught I used to in teaching I would create a class and I'd teach it and then I wouldn't have any records or anything of that class. So I'd have to literally reinvent it the next time <laughs> right. I went to do it. You know, right. but finally like, oh, maybe if I save this stuff and have files. So that's part of it, systems. And of course, the bottom line is is making good art. I mean, we can't let that I mean, that's the most important thing, right? Take workshops, improve your skills, learn from different artists, learn how to present your art, whether you, where you frame it or finish it or, or photograph it. You know, those are all the the real basics. And then, and for me, it was really helpful to, um, get published. And, um, get articles and get the image of my artwork. And that's where, you know, I'm I'm blessed with my marketing background that I'm not afraid to pitch an article or put something out there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been really helpful, not only for getting published, but meeting other wonderful artists and writers. Uh, how has the internet
0: changed your work? Because I'm assuming in 98, you probably weren't doing a ton online. I know I wasn't. I really got online about 2006. When did you get your work online
1: and start? Yeah. 2006 is when I started my blog. Okay. So yeah, me too. And I think I started a website right around that time too. Okay. And how Um, did things change for you? Certainly social media, uh, you know, that kind of goes without saying. And, and I enjoy social media. So that's, it's, it's fun and easy for me to do. I don't have a brand, you know, I read all these articles about Instagram brands. I do not have an Instagram brand, but I guess not having a brand shows that it's me <laughs> you know it might be my new tennis shoes one day it might be what i'm working on my artwork you know it might be my husband drinking a beer i mean it's just it's funny. <laughs> i just i just share um genuinely on on uh, social media i use pinterest But I know lots of people have said to me they found me through Pinterest. So I think it's a very valuable thing. So it's just, you know, getting the word out worldwide and with my online classes. I mean, I have people from all over the world that are able to find me because of the Internet. I was at the England, um, the Birmingham Quilt Festival in England, and my husband loved it. How many people came up to me and recognized me? And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's <laughs> crazy, but it's you know it's a combination of social media, quilting arts, TV, you know, all of that, and and to make a living as an artist these days, you've got to have a wide audience.
0: When you put work out there and you get responses, does how much of that influences what you do? Um, do you do you get good feedback that's maybe from fellow artists, or is uh, it become kind of a peer review in any sense for you?
1: Like so many people. I was gonna say women, but so many people, you know, I love positive feedback. Um, um it's very important to me that that verbal or written. But I found early on in making art that the art that I wanted to make, in other words, the art that's the most genuine to who I am is the most well liked. People respond to that the most. And when I try to do something that Oh, I think it's going to sell. It doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> it just isn't it falls something? Isn't it something? Flat. Yeah. 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 And so I really embrace especially, you know, when I'm trying something new and I I really do. I just I just go for it and make my own my own judgments and sensibilities. And you know, sometimes I'll ask opinions on how to finish something, but for the most part, I really do trust my own instinct and intuition. Which, going back to when my husband was, was hurt and I was you know, responsible for everything, I learned also then to trust my intuition because you just have to go with your gut in life, feelings and in art. I mean, <laughs> I really believe that. I really think you have to trust yourself. I'm curious too of how
0: your art has shifted. I know earlier you had mentioned that you used to do watercolor paintings and sell those. And now a lot of your watercolor work is in journal form, kind of documenting life and you're teaching others how to do that. Do you miss uh, doing a collection of paintings that might be in a gallery or um, do you really feel like this is the most satisfying to you to do the journal work?
1: Well, that's interesting um, because I did do a series last year, I guess it was. Um, They were kind of journal pages, but I ended up framing them and, and they were have been in galleries and I'm working on a, a series right now with um, these collages and they all have tea bags in them because I was asked to do um, an exhibition in this really nice tea store and so each piece has to use a tea bag so I love that kind of creative parameter I mean that's wide open oh yeah put a tea bag in it you know so I am creating work for that right now that will be framed and hung but they aren't realistic images like my paintings were. And a couple of years ago, I got a commission uh, for a large watercolor from the guy who does our taxes. And oh my god, I sweated that. I was like a year late on the, <laughs> was, uh, you know, be. I just uh, I have to have my own clock. <laughs>
0: Sometimes making something that's not really your idea is harder <laughs> to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you're thinking about them. All yes, because the you like, want them they to be happy. Are they like
0: it? Exactly. Yeah. And normally you just make something because it. You right. know It's like I'm just making something. If someone likes it, great. If not, you know, whatever. Now, if you had not done your other watercolor work before, do you think you'd still be able to get your art journal pages out there, or do you think they're the market and the gallery situation? Uh, it's receptive to to that kind of artwork?
1: Well, that two, my two recent exhibitions, cause I don't exhibit a lot, um, you know, with a body of work, I have individual pieces, um, have both been my art quilts and my watercolors, and okay. my journal pages. So it's been my f- full range of work, which is, you know, which is good, cause the, some of the art quilts are bigger, you know, you gotta fill the space. Right, of <laughs> some course. of the art quilts are bigger, so. But no, I think I have a good friend that um, strictly works in a journal and she'll just rip a, a good page out of the journal. So you even see, you know, the torn edge where the, um, the spiral binding was Wow! And, yeah. and frame that. And it's
0: powerful. It's really powerful. For those who might be listening and feel maybe like they're maybe a little more timid or they don't have a marketing background and they struggle, a lot of artists struggle to market their own work. Any, any advice as far as um, just that first step toward
1: getting your work out there? I mean, what would you advise? I would advise that you, re- you take your favorite magazine and you read the submission guidelines. And sometimes you ignore those guidelines in terms of themes. <laughs> <laughs> but you, But you take good pictures and you submit your artwork and you say, um, you know, I made this artwork. I mean, you give a story behind it. I made this artwork because I went to Greece, or I made this artwork because I got this new paintbrush and wanted to try it out. you know some some hook behind it, um small or large, and just keep doing it um because it's also really um you know like I said i love i i I love positive feedback, I love seeing my name in print, I love seeing my artwork in print. <laughs> And they aren't going to come knock on your door, usually. Right. (laughs) When I went from watercolors, because I was sewing on my watercolor paper, and I read an article in Somerset Studio Magazine that you could actually sew on fabric and make art quilts. What do you know? I mean, literally, I had not thought of sewing on fabric. And so I started making art quilts, and I submitted my first five art quilts that I'd ever made to Somerset Studio Magazine. They turned me down. But six months later, they contacted me to be in a book. And so my first art quilts, I was a featured artist in this book with my very first art quilt. And if you wouldn't have sent
0: those out, you wouldn't have gotten that opportunity. Right.
1: Exactly. And it also reinforced, hey, this art quilt thing is fun and good and keep doing it. So, yeah. Well,
0: you know, we have covered a lot of ground here. (laughs) We have. It's been so fun. It's been so fun. (laughs) We can put some links to your website because I know you have online classes available. And um, is that something that's an ongoing? Can people take those at their leisure, or do you take a group
1: through a process? Uh... I take a group through a process, yeah. so that my online class have a start and ending date. Yeah. Okay,
0: so maybe if you tell me what's coming up in January of 2017, is there
1: something that my newest? It's called art journaling uh, course, and it's in robust video. <laughs> I actually hired a guy to do the videos, oh, so good. they're really good videos. Yeah, great. Uh, so it's a relatively new class for people who, um, especially people who already know how to draw and paint. Um, And then right around probably February, I'll offer my sketching and watercolor journal style, which is my um, great class for beginners. The ones that say, I don't know how to draw, you know, um, a straight line.
0: Okay, and how much are your classes? Is it different depending on the class
1: or what? They're all 125. Okay, and how long do those go? They're six weeks and six lessons. Um, With video and uh, step-by-step handouts and then the classroom is open for about three weeks after that So people can catch up and I comment on each and every person's artwork Which is different than a lot of online classes. So you're getting my feedback on everything you do and if you want to do Five pages in the first lesson do it. I'll comment on each one.
0: That's lovely. Yeah So the people really feel like they can get their their time with you and yeah, 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 and that's a reasonable price. And I
1: like the community interaction. I mean, that's really important to me.
0: But have you found this to be a nice, you know, endeavor for you to do this on your own? And was it difficult to set this
1: up? I started um I think I started like when I wrote it down, two thousand eight teaching online and it was through Joggles, which is still around. And so they were printed lessons and then they're a company that sells the supplies. Okay. And so that's how I started, which was a really good way to kind of learn. And they did the marketing. Now I'm with a, uh, a platform called Rizuku. So I, have all the, I do all the marketing. I have all the creation. And the benefit of Rizuku is their great, easy um, visual platform. And most importantly, they do tech support, which I don't want to do tech support <laughs> right. at all. I want no part of tech support. You just want to do art um, support and that's it. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, and so I pay, you know, just FYI, I pay an annual fee to Rizuku and then I get all the profits a hundred percent from my classes. So if I wanna teach twelve classes a year, I could. I don't want to. I can't, but I could. So um I really like that. And so the other companies, um, and I've been asked just actually by, by one and I decided not to do it because they wanted too much of a, uh, they had too many hoops to jump through, but you get a, a percentage and it's about exposure, which is great. I don't, you know, that's how I got where I am is doing things where I got exposure and didn't make a lot of money. But um, now I'm blessed to have a pretty good following so that I can run my own onla- online classes and have it, have it be very lucrative. That's great. That's really great. And what is it? How do you spell the name of the company? Um, It's a host for classes, and it's R-U-Z-U-K-U. Okay.
0: Yeah, okay. I haven't heard of that one, but that's – so that's great. So this has been – and how long have you been teaching online classes?
1: Well, I – yeah, I started in 2008, and I think I've been teaching my own for maybe at least four or five years. So I don't know if there's anything else that we should cover. Um, I guess – Jennifer, the only thing I, I want to mention um, is Danny Gregory.
0: Do you know who he yes, is? Yes, I absolutely do. In yeah. fact, I have an interview yeah. with him that I'm going to be posting.
1: Yes, yeah. So, um, I started following Danny's blog because he's one of the first sketchbook artists who, and he, his, he, um, highly encouraged drawing from real life, mm-hmm. and that alone changed my whole direction in. In even working in a sketchbook and chronicling my life in that visual way. So he was a tremendous influence on me. Then he came out to California and I met him out here in in 2006. Um, We did a, with some others, did a sketch crawl together. Um, And he has continued to be not only a a good friend, but an incredible mentor just by what he does and the way he lives. And then I've been in, I, I was in his book, An Illustrated life, which was a huge honor. Oh
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I have that book.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then when he asked me to be, um, the first semester when he, he and Kosha thought up sketchbook school and I was one of the first teachers that he invited, um, what an honor. Um, so he has just done not only, you know, as a friend, but also, uh, career wise so much for me. So I really recommend following his blog, getting his books, everyday matters. Um, He's got lots of books out. He's just a just a really great guy. <laughs>
0: yeah, and his story is similar in that, and he started sketching, you know, kind of later in life. And it's kind of yeah. So he's uh, you both are great examples to and inspirations to people who really want to get into this. And um, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It's just just pick up a pencil, start right. making those lines, and then trace over it with pen. And it's so funny that this is so basic that I, I didn't even realize. Like I thought like that people who sketch really well, draw really well, I thought they were just going right to the pen.
1: And Danny does, and he says, if you go straight to pen, you'll you'll learn how to draw better, and he's right. But I always say, but your shoulders are going to be up around your ears. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I find I'm way more relaxed when I put the pencil lines in
0: first. Yeah. But, and the, yeah. the nice thing is there's two methods, but when I realized that some very talented people – do the sketches first and then draw over it and in fact I did a sample of his sketchbook school and um and I noticed that some of the teachers were were sketching in pencil and then coming back with the pen and then erasing the pencil lines and as you said it's like a magical experience because you feel yeah. very accomplished <laughs> when you see what <laughs> you happens do. when the sketching you do. goes and away there's
1: just yeah. so many different ways to do it we all have these preconceived notions about what it being an artist is and you know it's it's like this magic. It's like your daughter. She's just born with it. Well, not everybody's just born with it.
0: <laughs> I am so happy that you were able to share, um, you know, that uh, Danny Gregory is an inspiration. Do you have other yeah. artists that, that have been inspired you that you also want to, is there anyone else you'd like to mention?
1: Um, he's probably the most ongoing, um, you know, Um Leslie Riley is somebody that I adore and helped me early on and has continued to be a friend and inspiration especially for um for business well as just as friends but um for business questions you know on being a full-time artist um and of course Pokey Bolton changed my life with Cloth Paper Scissors and Quilting Arts and Quilting TV, and now Craft Napa (laughs) so um those are the ones that come to my mind right away. But then I've got loads of friends around here in San Diego that I just go, you know, sketch with and we bring our journals and they've been huge um, inspiration and friends for me, too. Well, that's
0: great. And thanks again for sharing your story and being so generous. Oh, to thank your time you, today. Jennifer. This has been really fun.
1: Well, thank you so much. It was been, it's been wonderful talking <laughs> to you. I really enjoyed it. Well, I'm <laughs> glad.
0: A special thanks to Jane for being a guest on the show. I really hope that you enjoyed her story and you're feeling very inspired by it. I hope you're looking to open a sketchbook and start filling it with your own drawings because it really is true that anyone can be creative. And it's great that there are people like Jane out there in the world, helping people find their inner creative voice. I can't wait to see what Jane creates next. And I'm excited for all the people that are going to be going with her on her upcoming trips because they sound wonderful. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. If you're looking for a way to support the show, you can uh, feel free to contact me. You can write jennifer at craftsanity.com. If you're interested in advertising your small business, that would be really cool to help you promote that. I also have another little announcement. I've been working really hard during the break between semesters. I've been spending a lot of time well, basically I've been doing some woodworking, which is not really what I normally do. Uh, I've I've been pounding in pegs, making peg looms for many years. I have those made by a local woodworker. He makes my frames. And I've had these ideas, though, in my head to make different looms, looms that were bigger and a little more complicated than some of the, the small looms I've been selling in my Etsy shop since about 2010. So, I've been weaving, probably I've made, oh gosh, I don't even know how much stuff I've made over this holiday season, but I've been weaving up a storm. I've been making blankets and shawls and scarves, and my kids have been making scarves as well, and we're just having a great time. And I'm very close to being able to release a new line of Craft Sanity weaving looms that I'm very excited about keep an eye on Instagram. Uh, you can follow Craft Sanity on Instagram. There'll be some little announcements coming out there. I'll also be sending out an announcement with a newsletter. Yeah, so for you weavers out there or people who are looking to get into it, uh, I think you might like some of these new designs because I had some ideas of some things I wanted to be able to make and I didn't have the right equipment to do it. So I decided it was time to build that equipment. So I'm, I'm excited about it and I hope you are too. And if all else fails, I have some really cool looms in my collection now. So, you know, honestly, that really is what motivates me. Um, I don't worry too much about how many I sell. I'm really just most interested in having these, these looms to weave on myself. So, yeah, we'll see where it goes next. But um, that's been really fun. Uh, if you have any story ideas for me, feel free to send me an email. Again, it's jennifer at craftsanity.com. And I will be back with another episode very soon. And in the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same
0: time next week will be craft.